and welcome to episode 38 of the 1099 for the week of April 18th, 2016. I am your host, as always, Josiah Nodden, and with me today is IGN's executive editor of reviews, Dan Stapleton. Dan, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm just fine, thanks. I'm glad I could make it finally. Absolutely, yeah, we've been playing this one for a bit. Uh, I think I started talking to you a while ago, and just with any sort of podcast, it's always this, the back and forth of like, how about this day? Sure, and that day approaches, and you're like, shit's gone crazy everything's going on it's hard to actually set these things up so i and one of the main reasons i really wanted you on is that anyone who listens to this knows i I talk a lot about reviews on the show i i mean i was doing reviews kind of exclusively for a few years so i thought it'd be perfect to have the editor for one of the biggest sites out there to really kind of detail not only ign's review policy but your own personal review philosophy so uh to kind of Take a step back. Before IGN, you were a mainstay at uh, PC Gamer Magazine. You spent time as the editor-in-chief of GameSpy before it was eventually bought by Ziff Davis. And at this point, I would assume you've had to have grown a pretty thick skin. That's that's part of the territory. Just to clarify, I was uh, I was at uh, PC Gamer from, from starting in 2004, uh, left there end of 2011 mm-hmm. to go to GameSpy, which was already owned by IGN at the time. Okay. IGN was then bought by Ziff Davis. And uh, they decided they didn't want to run GameSpy anymore, so uh, GameSpy and 1UP, which were both subsidiaries of IGN at that time, were rolled into IGN proper. So that's that's how I, how I got here. Yeah, and I mean, IGN proper is it's massive. I mean, I, I wrote a review uh, for you quite a while back, and I remember just, even reviews for smaller games, you get just this, this mountain of comments and all of this, the different opinions coming at you. And like I said, you probably have a thick skin, but... Can it be difficult to head such a big part of such a massive site like IGN? Has really the, the vitriolic nature of many commenters and Twitter people. It's, does that still get to you? Is that still something every once in a while? Let's say you review a big game like a Metal Gear Solid Five, and there's just this complete like attack on your character. Like, is that something that still kind of gets to you a little bit? I, w- I wouldn't say like the attack on my character gets to me. Um, I, I do spend probably much time uh, going through comments and trying to address people's uh, concerns. Um, but, uh, I, I think just the, and I, I'm, yeah, I, I was obviously still doing this job, so I haven't, I haven't, you know, given up and, and quit from, you know, the, the deluge of these people. Um, but it's, it's just a matter of, of understanding that, uh, a lot of people out there just have a very poor idea of what the purpose of a review is, uh, what objectivity in a review context means, uh, and just, yeah, but most people, or not most people, but a lot of people online seem to, or, I, I shouldn't generalize that much even. I think it's a small group of people that are just very vocal um, who think that uh, the concept of an objective review is something that they agree with. Uh, so objectivity means I agree with this. Uh, and if something doesn't agree with them, well, then it can't be objective uh, because apparently they are the the um, you know the masters of objectivity. They get to decide what's objective and what isn't. So it's, it's just a, it's frustrating that Education has failed these people. <laughs> is the is where I come down on it. It's it's not it's not you know driving me out of the industry. It's not uh, you know making me want to stop reviewing games. It's just uh, you know kind of a reflection on the the state of of education of people in general. I think. Has you mentioned that you you spend maybe too much time looking through those comments and kind of you know reacting and talking to those people. Do you think it's important to actually read the comments and address it? Because there's that mantra, I feel like, at this point, where everyone just says, don't read the comments, which I think you might be a little bit happier if you don't. I, I've definitely had those <laughs> reviews where I look back and I'm like, oh my god. And I, I enjoy talking to people about reviews, so you know, as long as they are you know, respectful, I'm totally happy to talk to them. Like that's, That is 
something that I enjoy for the most part, and you know, I, I like uh, helping them to understand where we're coming from. If something wasn't super clear, it's always good to get feedback on, like, oh, well, maybe next time I can, I can do that better. And you know, it's it's not like I like you said, IGN's comment volume is is dramatically higher than I think I think we're like the number two or three most commented site on the internet. Wow. Um, it's it's pretty pretty nuts just the the volume of comments we get. We can get uh you know high profile reviews that can get like 20,000 plus comments on them. Yeah. Um so it's in in those situations like you can't even really do anything because nobody can find anything on a thread of 20,000 comments. Um so it's <laughs> it, it it is futile in some in some cases. Um but yeah, I, 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 like I said, I kind of enjoy it. I mean, I, I, there's part of me that does, like you said, if people can actually have a conversation instead of a, a yelling fight, uh, yeah. that it actually works out. There's, the, the, there is this strange thing where usually the people who are extremely angry and saying these things that you would never believe, as long as you just calmly reason with them, it's like, hey, this is why this happened, or this is how this is, or something like yeah, that. I mean, Very often they them, back down and understand. Right. A lot of them are just think that nobody's watching. So they'll yeah. say like horrible things, and then when you say, "Hey, that's not cool," they're like, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize you were gonna read this. I didn't actually mean that. I love your stuff." Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's you know, it's it's like kids acting out in a lot of ways. Um, <laughs> Very often, they yeah, like kids too. yeah, exactly. I mean, our our audience is you know runs all ages, so there there are a bunch of young kids on the on the site just you know just being being jerks because they think that's what you do on the internet, um, and then as soon as they realize that that. Yes, people are paying attention. It's, they they change their tone completely. But on the other hand, there are just the really angry people who just you know, and you know, some of them are trolls who just want attention and are and are gonna yell at you for no reason. And and uh, you know that when you when you respond angrily, then they'll then that's what they want. So you kind of try not to do that. And I mean, speaking of kind of like uneducated commenters in that way, I I think a lot of the the rhetoric that surrounds those people is that whole like oh IGN's paid off like oh the relationship between a publisher and a game site and a critic is like it's you know you get a big fat check and this game gets a nine and a half which is ridiculous but I mean looking more actually correctly at the relationship between publisher and critic has that relationship in general changed over the course of your career and the reason I ask that question is uh, you look at games that rely heavily on uh, online connections like the division I mean a lot of sites aren't did not get that game until much later because you need to test out the online functionality so the you don't a lot of consumers don't know what that game's like until after it's already out you look at something like dark souls 3 twitch and youtube you know quote-unquote influencers are playing and posting that entire game before the press even has a chance to post a review the embargoes are kind of all kinds of wacky so have you found it easier or harder to work with publishers in 2016 and has that relationship really morphed because of the nature of twitch youtube and uh, online games in general yeah i mean the the latter part of that more than the former it's it's uh the the fact that um that uh you know people can get a hold of the game and just start streaming it uh and, and you know scoop us basically because we have a relationship with the publisher because we'll respect an embargo in order to to you know have the, the relationship as it has existed for you know the entirety of of you know the the game's press uh which is you know it's it's access in exchange for respecting um for respecting their their you know wishes for when when information should go out as long as it's you know before before a game is uh available in a commercial way with dark souls 3 in particular it's been very frustrating because uh it came out in japan earlier yeah like we didn't 
we we were able to get access to the Japanese version through that that glitch in Xbox One, um, and we have been posting information from that, and you know they they understand like hey you know we, that's out there we can't stop you from doing that, uh, so it's not it's so what well, I guess what what has changed is uh, you know we we now have to be much more uh, diligent about getting. All the a bunch of different embargoes and managing those things and pushing back when they when they say there are a bunch of different embargoes by which I mean there's the review embargo but there's also a when can we post video when can mm-hmm. we stream when can how we much video this? what's the exact yeah, sequences when, we can show when can we when can we post guide content all kinds of things like that um, and uh, we have to push back on that all the time because a lot of these things they want to do just don't make any sense like they'll say um, you know you can't you can stream uh, you can stream this game on such and such a date, but uh, you know it'll be three days later before you can post any video clips. It's like, well, how does that make sense? <laughs> and things like, oh, well, the review embargo will be after the streaming embargo. It's like, well, but then, like, what are we supposed to not talk about it? Uh, what yeah, we no, that's a game? great question. It's, on a stream, can you can you say like, I like this part, or you does it shut everything down at that point because it's an opinion? Yeah, I, I, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily like because what they're mostly worried about is scores. Uh, but it's it's strange. It's it, it, so there, there are ongoing discussions with a bunch of publishers. It's like this, this just is not really working out well for anybody. Why are you doing this? And a lot of them do see reason and and you know change their ways. Uh, I've I've had you know several several discussions with publishers that have led to them changing their their embargo plans. Yeah, that's actually that was my next question. Like, how malleable are publishers in that way? Because usually, I, I in my mind, I think because when I was a freelancer, I don't exactly get to go and argue with a publisher or say you know try to reason with them about a embargo but i've wanted to so is that have there been a lot of times when you say like in a nicer way than this but hey this is stupid you should consider changing it i mean i, I it's not necessarily nicer than that um <laughs> uh yeah I, I mean it's just a matter of because like uh, pr people that i'm talking to aren't necessarily the ones that set this this uh these times uh sometimes they they are set like and especially with the case of dark souls it's like well this is you know coming from japan and our hands are kind of tied on this um so it's it's just a matter of uh, you know relaying them, relaying to them like all the reasons it's a bad idea, and you know just logically convincing them. Hey, if you do this, uh, we won't be able to create the amount of content we want to around this around this game. Uh, it devalues a review for us because uh, there's a bunch of other stuff out there, and people are already getting that information. So, and I, I've you know had I've had to play hard while with certain publishers saying yeah. like uh, you know if if you are, if you are trying to say um, this you know this review is embargoed until after the commercial availability of the game. Then sorry, we don't want your review copy. We'll just buy it off the shelf and do it that way. Yep. Um, and and have a review out before we would if we if we played by your rules. Uh, and that that has also produced some results. So it's it's uh you know it's just a matter of of you know explaining to them why it's in everyone's interest to not do stupid things. How damaging can something you mentioned like if the embargo is after the release when you Go out and buy it yourself and re- post review early. Is that damaging for the relationship? Because I just tweeted earlier, there was a site, I think it was an Indian site, I don't remember the name, but it sounded like someone, a store broke street day for Ratchet & Clank, the, the new one, the remake, and they bought it and reviewed it early. Is that something that, you know, they might never get review copies again? Have you, had, have you ever had an instance where you posted something earlier than a publisher has wanted and it's really kind of strained that relationship? Uh, not when it's a, a legitimately obtained copy. So, you know, and we, we don't illegitimately obtain copies, so it hasn't really come up. Uh, like, any time we're able to get our hands on something, uh, then it's fair game. 
Um, you know, as long as it's as long as it's not illegal. You know, mm-hmm. if it's illegal, then they have kind of a point. You shouldn't have done that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's not like I haven't. I don't think I've had any any issue with with a publisher trying to do anything about something we legitimately obtained. Um, and you know, so, sometimes in in order to manage a relationship like that, it's like okay, we well, um, when when we do come across a, a something that that we could post without, you know, they wouldn't be able to stop us. But sometimes we can go to them and say, "Hey, uh, we have this. We can post it, or we can, you know, work out something that that works for everybody." And they're usually grateful to have that that discussion. So it's not just us unilaterally going out and ruining their plans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we get to have a conversation with them and just say, "You know, hey, you can you can let your team know this is going to happen, um, and we can, you know, work back and forth and figure out what what works for everybody because the original plan just isn't going to work." And uh, kind of touching back on YouTube and streaming in general, I've, I've talked to a lot of developers on this podcast, uh, and especially I've had a couple indie people who, when they're designing their games, when they're developing their games, they mention that in the back of their head, it's hard not to think about, is this streamable, which is kind of a weird word, but like, is this is this good for YouTube content? Is this yep. something that will get there? Because if they get a couple reviews on smaller, medium-sized sites, that's cool. But if you know Game Grumps or someone of that magnitude plays their game, suddenly they're getting you know 10x, 100x times the sales for that week. So this it's it's a strange question because I mean I I come from all I ever wanted to do when I was in high school and college was write about games in these major sites. But I mean the landscape has changed. So do you think YouTubers and streamers, in a way, have even surpassed big sites like IGN or Gamespot in the developers and publishers' priority list? Is it more important to reach out and get that coverage on a major YouTube channel than to get it on an IGN or a Gamespot? I mean, collectively, yes. If you can get you know a bunch of YouTube coverage, and sometimes sometimes that is a domino effect. If you get like one of the big ones to do it, then everyone will pick it up. Yeah. Um, so I mean, IGN is is really big, but you know we're not as big as all of YouTube combined. So, or every streamer on YouTube combined, or you know, even even half of them. So it's it's a uh, you know that's a that's a big audience, and they absolutely should go after that. But at the same time, IGN is still very relevant. I mean, we've got uh, you know we we have our own large YouTube channel. We have uh, you know our our website. We have our Facebook group. We have our you know we have like our Snapchat channel. We've got you know pretty much uh, every every outlet that will will have us. We are on. Uh, so our our reach is bigger than ever. Yeah, and just the idea, like I I would very much like to believe and very much believe that you know we will always need reviews. Like reviews are extremely important in written form, and I enjoy writing them and reading them. Uh, and your what we talked earlier about, like your personal opinion of reviews, your personal philosophy of reviews. Do you think there's a right or wrong way to review a video game? And it's again, these are very these are subjective. Like reviews are subjective, but. What do you what do you prefer? Do you like the experiential review that maybe you you point out a specific aspect of the game that really grabs you and you build off of that uh, and you know, touch on other things, but it's really about this one aspect? Or there are a lot of reviews out there that go almost down a list of like here is the gameplay, here is the sound design, here are the graphics, boom, score at the end. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to write a review. So do you think there is a wrong way to write a review, and what do you prefer to see? I think the only wrong way to write a review is one where you don't actually express your opinion of what you think of this game, and you'd be surprised <laughs> how often people do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, they just write a description of a, of a product and call it a review. It's like, no, no, I wanted to know if you think it's good or not. Um, and that's uh, surprisingly common. Beyond that, I mean, the, there are there are things that I you know prefer. Like, I, I don't really like it when a review takes, uh, you know, five or six paragraphs to, to uh, tell me you know, what, what I'm here for, which is like, is this game good? 
Um, like a lot of a lot of people will start a review with like a long uh, history lesson on the developer or the franchise yeah. or worse yet what they had for breakfast. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not a big fan of just wasting everybody's time. I guess you could say. Um, and you know some of that stuff um, is you know not not going to be necessarily bad if you've got you know interesting things to say. But uh, yeah, uh, use it use it sparingly would be my advice. Um, but yeah, again, it's it's still not wrong. It's just my preference for how how I like reviews to be written. Um, and yeah, I, I like uh, anecdotes in reviews. I think they they can add a lot. I think you know it, it's it's one thing to just say, hey, I like this feature. Here's but to back that up with here's what that feature allows you to do. Uh, here here's a here's a funny thing that happened when I when I use this feature. Or here's a, a a disaster when I tried to use it. Um, like that that is a better way to illustrate uh, you know what the consequences or or happy results of a feature than than just describing it. Sometimes it also allows you to inject a lot of personality into review. Um, a lot of people will write reviews in um, what what seems like they they uh, you know they're just emulating every kind of. Uh, Cookie cutter review they've ever read, and because they think that's how game journalists should write, um, and just be very bland and uh, you know using a bunch of academic jargon <laughs> to describe their a, a game, and it's it's just not you know there's no personality that comes through. There's no there's no sense of who this person who's telling me if this game is good or not is, um, and I think that's it's definitely something that people struggle with. I, you know, I've had a lot of people, you know, I'm sure you've had people email you about like, Hey, is this good writing or how do I get in the industry? And it, whenever I get an article or a review, very often it, it reads like someone who's read a lot of games writing and is trying to not really, you know, take from that and add it to their own style. They're trying to do almost do a copy paste of that. They're trying to fill in the certain game aspect with kind of what they've read in other right. reviews. And I mean, that's, what I like to tell people on that those lines is like if you want to, people to to like know who you are, remember your name. Don't blend in with every really bland write, piece of writing you've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, you know, try and find your own voice and stand out. If I open a link to a review on like an IGN or a, di- a different site, uh, I it's really exciting when you can know who the writer is before you even look at the like the byline, where it's like, oh, this is a this person review, not in a bad way, where it's like, oh god, this is another. <laughs> There's another Dan review, god damn it. No, they open it and it's like, oh, I can tell from the style that like this is this person. Certain people have that flair. For me, uh, Kevin Van Ord was always one of those people. As soon as I went through a few paragraphs, I'm like, okay, this is a Kevin review. Like, I see that there. And that's, it's fun. It is, it's cool to have your own style. And that all goes down to, you know, reviews are subjective and there should be this person, this, is this person's experience. This is this single person's experience. And along those lines, like the intro of a review is one of the hardest things to write because you've got like you've got to to hook people, and you know doing that doing that again and again and again with a bunch of different uh, different games is pretty tricky to to come up with because uh, you know it's it's really easy to to settle into a pattern uh, where it's it's just you know the same thing you've read like it's hard to believe it's been 15 years since the last Ratchet <laughs> Clank like no let's let's just get rid of that. You know, just try try and be try and be a little bit more original, and you know that that does take time, and you have to you have to uh, you do have to you know try and you know sit there and stare at the screen for a while before you can uh, before you can come up with you know something that you haven't done a hundred times before. If you start at the intro, and you know, a lot of people do the thing where they do the middle, they do the end, and then they write the intro. But I mean, I, very often I've 
had like an intro then by the time i'm actually done with the review i come back and i'm like no this doesn't work like i've had time to sit on this and it's like you said you don't want to do the same one over and over you don't want to do that one where let's say a metal gear solid 5 review and you start off with my hands were sweating i was crawling through this and like there's so (laughs) many people who do that uh and that is extremely hard to pull off well to be able to put someone in that same experience you were in uh you have to be a very good writer. You have to know what the hell you're doing. And if that's every review starts that way, if you're talking about Peggle and you're like, and then the ball went this way, like, no, it doesn't always work. So, yeah, it, it's, I think it's, if you don't grab people, if I'm through your first paragraph and just, it's another one of those, like, I'm not going to care. It's Start, Starting with an anecdote works if it's a good anecdote. <laughs> yes. It has <laughs> to be good. If it's, something, if it's something pretty bland, then it's just not going to, not really going to catch people. Uh, but I mean that that is a thing. Like you do, you do kind of need, uh, you know. One of my rules is like the the first paragraph should, you know, you should not have people read through the first paragraph and not know what you think of this game. Sometimes I read a review, I don't know what you think. Sometimes I read a review, I don't even know what that game plays like because there's so many different anecdotes and so many different left turns. Or by the end, you're like, okay, but what is this? And that was definitely, I've had that kind of criticism before with my reviews where it goes through and like, but you know, when I'm talking to my editor, they're like, okay, like this is good, but what is this game? <laughs> like, if there were no screenshots, I wouldn't know what this thing even is. And, and t- talking about the review process, uh, how much weight do you put on scores? How, and how early do you think about those? Because I know some people are like, you know, I played the game and I just scored mine, I wrote it. And for me, I try to avoid that if possible. I try to let it, you know, I'm going to play this game, I'm going to write this review, and then I read it and like, okay, this is, a, you know, this, is this number for this site. This is this rating what's your kind of process for determining you know what gets a seven what gets a five what gets a ten i mean the text it's all about the text yeah um so like as long as the score and the text match i don't care what you come up with first but you've just got to have have those two line up you can't you can't say and you know there, there's the meme around the internet about ign it's like it's okay nine out of ten it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like there there have been reviews on ign and you know we're a 20 year old site there have been a lot of a lot of people writing for it and, and uh you know during certain periods that you know some of the writing wasn't as closely supervised as, as it is now um and like you if you don't have people like adhering to your scale like because if if someone says okay this game is okay then to me that means that that's a six you know 6.0 to 6.9 because that's the definition on our scale uh so i've had people uh you know turn in a, a review uh where it's got a seven or an eight on it and i'll talk to them and say and and you know, just say, hey, what 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 would you say if somebody came up to you on the on the street and asked you how good is this game? And they're like, oh, it's okay. I'm like, well, that's a six. Yeah. Um, so, and you know, I I read over those reviews and I see the eight at the end. And it's like, well, that doesn't really match up. So we have to have a conversation about it. Um, either either the the tone of the text has to change or the score has to change. To be, but you know, you can't you can't have those not line up. Yeah, and I mean, for people who have never written you know freelance reviews or otherwise i mean that totally happens like i've had that multiple times different places where uh i've sent in you know text and a score and the editor's like this does not line up and you do need someone else to tell you that very often you know when you're just reading your own writing sometimes you don't realize you're like okay this reads like a like an eight and then you go back like oh no that was a seven and like i've never scores have always just been strange because you do get sick of the fact that people do the thing where they scroll down, they ignore everything you wrote, they look at the end, they see a six, and they're like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. It's it's a lot of what people focus on. Does that ever get frustrating? I, I know it's it's weird. You, different reviews are used in different ways, but when you spend, 
you know, dozens of hours playing a game, hours doing the writing, and then someone scrolls down and looks and says, all right, eight, I'm out of here. Like, do you think, is that frustrating when you are writing a review and putting that much time into it? I mean, it is in that, like, it's not frustrating when they scroll down, look at the at the score, get what they need, and, like, say, hey, thanks for, for what you, for telling me what you think. Uh, yeah, that, that's fine. Because we put the score on it because we we know a lot of people want that just short uh, you know, very very simple thumbs up, thumbs down, except with more gradation. Um, you know, there there's a bunch of people who who want that, and that's fine. Um, what what does annoy me is when they scroll down, uh, look at the score, maybe look at a couple of the bullet points in the in the summary, and say, uh, like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> like, well, you literally just scroll right by what I mean by that. It's right so, in there. But, it's like I, in those cases, I'm tempted just to just to copy and paste the whole review into the comment. <laughs> <laughs> just reply and say, "Well, here's what I mean by that." Oh, please start um, doing that. <laughs> but yeah, it, it it baffles me when when people just don't realize that they've they've scrolled past a, a detailed explanation of how we came to this conclusion. And speaking of of uh, review scores, do, do you ever think there's too much parody among game reviews? And it's 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 a weird topic because if everyone likes a game, it's hard to be like. Why didn't you give this a lower score to be different? And that's not what I want. But you look at something like Metal Gear Solid Five, and uh, that was one of my favorite experiences last year. But there's always just this, this myriad problems that were later addressed in, you know, a lot of these like following reviews. You get a lot of deep dives into games. You get a lot of second opinions that come when people kind of sit on games and play them longer. But I, the reviews really across the board. There was there were some lower ones, but that game I think averaged like a. 93 or 95 on Metacritic and for a game with so many large issues so many blatant issues it's kind of hard to see that sometimes so especially with AAA releases do you feel we need more diversity of opinion do you think that that sometimes reviews kind of trend too much to all be right around the same area I mean there's at least for us there's very little actually no like coordination with other review sites like yeah we don't like sometimes we'll, we'll hear like ahead of ahead of an embargo like oh well this other site might might give this a lower score just you know from uh just from like things we hear through the grapevine it's like oh well you know this reviewer wasn't liking it very much but that doesn't necessarily change i, I don't i can't remember a time when we've actually changed a a review score based on like oh well some other reviewer might not like it yeah. um so it's like i see the entire purpose of of our score as being our score and not not like worrying about what other people are going to give it um I, I certainly don't don't think that that we're lacking for uh, diverse opinions these days. I think they're like if you have if you want to find somebody who doesn't like a game, you can find that <laughs> that view. Um, and you know the, the major sites, uh, you know our, our our tastes are not uh, entirely homogenous. I mean there there are some there are some pretty uh, stark differences between you know IGN scores and Gamespot scores and Polygon scores and Kotaku. Well, Kotaku doesn't have scores, um, but uh, you know, in tone of reviews, at least, um, like you'll you'll find things that are that are pretty polarizing. Uh, so, it, yeah, I I don't I don't see that as a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think it's a a strength when um and it, you know it speaks to the quality of a game if if like you know ten different reviewers play it and they all say it's great, like that's a that's a a positive a positive thing. It you know it lets it lets people let readers like go into it feeling more confident. Yeah. And so, something like, uh, like you say, you've got, you've got the second wave of uh, of opinions that, that happen after reviews. It's like, yeah, that, that's that's gonna happen just because reviews are based on 
usually you know the first playthrough it's based on you know a week or two maybe maybe three on the on the if you're real lucky you'll get you'll get three weeks of the game um it's, it's based on that that you know first playthrough and a lot of things especially with games like fallout or um you know any rpg where and i guess you know metal gear to some extent it's you know it's it's built to be very replayable right so uh when you when you ask somebody like oh how how well is this game going to stand up for multiple playthroughs reviewers don't really know that because we've only we've only had access to it for so long um and that's that's really hard to determine uh on on a first playthrough uh whereas you know after the after the fact you're going to have uh, people playing through multiple times and actually, you know, putting that to the test and see like, oh, well, what what is it like uh, to play through Metal Gear three times? Once again, it's a weird thing because you do see every once in a while there's a game that just gets like high marks across the board and you can wonder like, man, like I shocked this one didn't get lower scores. But again, like you said, it's not like anyone's ever. <laughs> I've reviewed a lot of games, a lot of major sites. It's never been like a. Did you see that other site gave it this? Let's let's bump it up or let's move it towards the mean <laughs> or anything like that. It's definitely yeah, not it's, that. That that just doesn't happen. At least not not in, in my experience. Well, you mentioned earlier um, diversity of opinion. It's like there, there's definitely there's no lack of that. Uh, but I was talking to uh, Tom McShay a few months ago, who used to write for GameSpot, and he had mentioned that uh, he would very much enjoy a Madden review by someone who never really plays Madden. Someone going in <laughs> and being like. Here was my experience with Madden because every once in a while you, you read a Madden review and sometimes you're like, man, if I didn't know a lot about Madden already, if I didn't know a lot about 2K already, this would just be like gibberish. It's, it's, there's this certain level that it almost, especially a Madden game almost expects you to be at a certain level when you play it. There's not a lot of great tutorials in a Madden and a, a 2K game that's coming well, from something new. Let, let, me, let yeah. me tell you, some, some people who didn't enjoy that are Bloodborne fans. Uh, <laughs> they they did not appreciate my my uh, new fan new new player coming to that game and trying it out. Did you review for IGN? Was that a, was that a feature? That was not a review. Um, oh, no, it was, it was uh, our review was still being worked on uh, because that turns out to be a pretty long game to get through. Yeah, so I and like I I put in there. It's like oh yeah, well I've I've never uh, I've never played one of these games for any length of time. Uh, I didn't you know I just dabbled in Dark Souls one when it came out on PC. Uh, and didn't really like the combat, so I put it aside. Um, but now, like I hear the the combat for this one is faster and more responsive. So okay, I'm all, all over that. So give it a try. And did not like it. Uh, still haven't heard the end of that. 14 months later. Why uh, is why is that wrong? Like, shouldn't there be like you, if there's diversity of opinions, there should be stuff like that because I I really enjoy you know Demon Souls, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, stuff like that. But if I am suggesting it to like I don't know about like my brother's never played one before. I don't know if he's gonna like it. Like I feel like there should be reviews out there of people who have never really gotten into this trying to explain like here was my experience and my thought of it. Is it, do, do I mean do you think there's value in that? Do you think that you would ever Absolutely. assign uh, someone who maybe has like a general understanding of basketball but doesn't really play 2K games a 2K review? I I would avoid that um, because it's an annualized franchise. So it's you're like putting somebody in there who's never played one before is a little bit weird. I, I, do you think that's the game's fault? Sorry to interrupt you, but do you think the fact that because 2K I reviewed the last two for GameSpot, like that those, those games do not teach you almost anything. You uh, there were times where I had to Google things because I know a lot about 2K and basketball, but there were just things that were completely obfuscated. Like is that not the game's fault that a layperson can't come in and kind of pick it up? 
Absolutely, and I, I think that that's something that they should be criticized for. And, and whether you're whether you are a experienced reviewer or, or experienced player or not, um, like you can you can get a sense of that. Like, you know, I, I play the hell out of XCOM, and you know, going into XCOM two, one of the things I was looking for is like, how, what's the tutorial experience like? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is it is it going to be a good place to start for a new player? Um, and you know, it's 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 something I don't think you need a new pers- new player perspective necessarily to determine. Uh, it it might help, but uh, you know, if there are only so many new players out there. You can't you can't repeat that that same perspective year to year, right? Because mm-hmm. um, so, uh, you use one guy, and then next year you got to find somebody else, and his his perspective is going to be different. Um, but yeah, I I think uh for an annualized franchise, annualized franchises are such a pain in the ass to review. They really are, because <laughs> they're so iterative. You've got to deal with questions of um, like, well, do you assume that somebody played last year's or uh and are you reviewing this as a potential upgrade for someone who already played it already played yeah. last year's already owns last year's you can't review that or in a bubble you... like yeah it's you have to look at like is this is impressive but is it as impressive because last year's game exists but but like not everyone played last year's exactly right so you're you're trying to review for two audiences at once and we're going to have very different perspectives on uh the value of this game uh, and so if you, if you review it strictly from the perspective of somebody who played last year's, then it's like, oh, well, these are minor upgrades. They don't really justify buying it, um, but they're still upgrades, so they make it better than it was before. So are you going to score it lower than you did last year's? And a lot of readers don't quite think that way, because I, I think I gave one of the 2Ks. I gave one a 9 one year, the next year. I think even in the review, I said this is you know as good or better than last year's, but I gave it an 8 because... The other game existed. It wasn't, you know, the other improvements have been made. This is still a good game, but it didn't push far enough to keep that score. And people just roasted me. And I'm like, yeah, I, mean, I say right a, in the review a, why, I, why I said this. And, you know, but both are valid perspectives, but they're conflicting, mm-hmm. right? So you've got, you've got uh, uh, a game that is better. Like, if you don't own any, it's like, yes, you should absolutely buy the new one, right? Yeah. But if you own the, the other one, then why would you buy the new one? Because this one isn't different enough uh, to justify $60. So it's it's a very different uh, it's two very different perspectives, uh, and you know we we tend to to err on the side of like let's look at this game in isolation and like if you don't own one how good is this, um, but and you know we we try to maintain a consistency in the scores but that's that's difficult because you know we they are generally freelanced reviews and sometimes the old freelancer is not available anymore, so that's that's a <laughs> yeah big big pain in the ass that happens every year around the same time <laughs> uh, at this point you've probably reviewed hundreds if not thousands of games uh, and I, i'd say hundreds i don't know if i've cracked a thousand you've reviewed quite a few i are there any games out there that you feel like you gave either too high or too low of a score to is there anything you look back oh, yeah. on i mean I, do, you lo- do you ever lose sleep over like man that soul reaver game i really should have given that a seven instead of that six is there anything like that well i mean like all the time like they're they're like I said, like you've got you've got games. A, you, you, a review is based on the first playthrough or two, right? And then and then a game uh, has a life after that. Uh, you know, and you like sometimes uh, flaws are exposed that you didn't know about. You didn't run across them. Sometimes a you know a game turns out to be really buggy and you just didn't hit them. Uh, there are just all kinds of things like that. Um, <laughs> although I get my I, my most famous one, I, I got this asked on my on my Reddit anime yesterday. Um, and the the one my go to for that is Duke Nukem Forever. I think I was the highest score on Duke Nukem Forever. I gave it an 
uh, and 80% a PC gamer. And the reason for that, uh, there, there are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one is that um, you know, I was playing on PC and didn't have the terrible load times after every death that console players did. Um, so I think that contributed to it not sucking as much. Um, I think uh, I overcompensated for... Like, I, I, was, I was determined going into that review to not hold its development against it. Um, I, you know, I, I really don't like uh, when when reviews are like, oh, well, this was made by one person, so totally it's agree. awesome. Yes. Like, all right, or this was made by a soulless corporation, so I hate it. Or, uh, you know, this game went through development hell, so it's bad. It's like I was determined not to let that uh, affect me, and I think I overcompensated there. Um, it's like, yeah, this is this is you know a, a dumb shooter. With, uh, like I, I thought the the level design was largely decent. I thought the weapons were fun. I thought uh, the writing was very hit or miss um, and with some, some notable misses. I thought uh, <laughs> uh, I thought the multiplayer was a lot of fun. Uh, it's like it's, it, it was a very retro like, hey, here's what here's what uh, you like about uh, what you used to like about Duke Nukem Forever multiplayer. You've got the jetpack. You've got the, uh, the tripwire mines. You've got uh, you know, freezing people and then shattering them. You've got shrinking them and stepping on them. Like, that kind of stuff. I, I love that stuff. Um, and I, I loved that it didn't have progression-based multiplayer. Uh, it had, you know, unlocks, but they were all cosmetic. Um, so, but yeah, like, in, in hindsight, I would have gone, gone lower. I still wouldn't have said that this is a terrible game. Um, I think a lot of people beat up on it, uh, and, you know, a lot of people did get, uh, it did let the development, uh, influence them like all the all the crazy promises that it would be the best thing ever and then it's like well this is just a you know it's a good shooter it's, it's okay um like that that kind of thing uh really worked against it and it it was a a, a you know it was a stone around its neck on the, yeah. for a lot of reviewers and that's fine like i can understand that but uh, but for somebody who just picks it up off off the shelf uh without knowing uh you know anything about its history like I think, I think calling it like the worst thing ever is is a little, little extreme, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. You're reviewing the final product and not what you know what led up to it actually happening. And I, I do think a lot of times people are like, "This is an amazing game, nine because one person made it." And like, yeah, but yep, does like, not it, matter. It, yeah, if some consumer is just buying this game and doesn't know that, how is that going to impact it? Like, you got to review the game in that way. And uh, yep, for that's me, the, that's the human. That's the human interest story you write after the review. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that's the follow-up feature that makes it interesting. I I remember I think I reviewed uh, NBA 2K15 and I played it all, of course, before it was out out. Uh, you know that game was made by one guy. Yeah, he was one bat. It was actually Michael Jordan was the only person who yep. made that game, and all of the dunk <laughs> animations are his own, even though he's like fifty. Uh, yeah, just ignore ignore the credits. Uh, those, <laughs> those are those are just uh, just uh, you know family members. Yeah, no, he's trying to be bashful. He doesn't want to you know he doesn't want to know he's been doing this. Uh, I reviewed that game really, really. That might have been the nine I gave, and when it launched, the servers just crashed. Like no one yep. could play that game, and uh, I felt really bad because it's like i the environment i played this in this game was amazing and i really enjoyed that but i mean it has i, I mean because a lot of people ran to that it's connection you need to be online for a lot of games now is that like a kind of a company-wide ign policy now where if there's a game that focuses very heavily on an online connection you have to wait a few days or have some actual natural retail environment before you throw a score on it yes um so we, we now do reviews in progress for anything that that is very online dependent. Uh, 
you know, you see that with with Call of Duty games or Battlefield games, Battlefront. We did we went out with a review in progress instead of a scored review. Um, yeah, we're we're looking at, at ways to to uh, to accomplish that in some in in forms that that, that there's there there's a very large camp of well, again I don't know how big they are a camp of people out there who really dislikes the review and concept the review and progress concept. Yeah. Um, I don't fully understand why. They are like uh, we get every time we do it. We're a lot of, there are a lot of comments saying, "Oh, just release the review when it's done." It's like, well, don't click on it. Until it's done. <laughs> I think it's they they can't scroll down and look at the score anymore. It's like, oh, I gotta read. Like I actually right, have to but, like look through this thing. Yeah, and it, but it's like we label these things as reviews in progress, so it's like we didn't we didn't fool you into thinking it was done. <laughs> just just don't don't click on it if you don't want to read it. And but there are a bunch of people who do want to read it. So, uh, you know, we we do it because. Because a lot of people are interested in it, but there are people that are just militantly against it. So we're, you know, we're we're always looking for ways to to make more people happy. We know we can't we can't please anybody, everybody, but we're you know trying to 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 increase our ratio a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean people are going to be angry about some stuff no matter what. One of the the uh, common things we hear from people, it's like, well, if if uh, you know if you didn't uh, you know if you feel like you're gonna gonna uh, change your mind on a game after playing it for longer, why you know why? Why do you put out a review uh, at release day? Why not? Why not wait until uh, you know you've, you've played it a bunch and then uh, you you really you know it inside and out and you're really confident in your score. It's like, well, uh, you can be you can be uh, timely <laughs> or and and relevant, or you can be uh, you know super super thorough and no no one will care. Um, so and yes, there there will be a small group of people who will read re- review content like that. But uh, yeah, here's something you can try at home, which is uh, just going onto trends.google.com and search for virtually any game review, um, and watch the the incredible spike you see on or, or you know a day or two before release day, and then it just falls right off. It's in amazing. The following days, so it's not. Uh, not all of our traffic comes from YouTube, or sorry, uh, Google, but a lot of it does. And if we miss that wave, the review becomes much, much less valuable and much less relevant. People just won't see it if you if you don't get it out within a certain amount of time. And it's like, yes, your your review is not as thorough as one that comes out six months after Dragon Age Inquisition comes out. <laughs> uh, you know, if, after you've played it through three times or six times, um, but. So you know, maybe you don't, maybe you miss some stuff. Maybe you don't, um, maybe you don't know what all of the possible endings are. But it's a, it's still a pretty good indication of like what you think of a game. And very very seldom does do you do like a 180. It's like, oh well, I thought this game was good, and now I think it's garbage. Mm. Um, it's that rarely happens. And you just wait. I am writing my 20,000 word Skyrim review after playing it for the 10th time and that's going to get all the traffic in the world. This is the future of games criticism. And, and I mean, it's, it's a business and it makes sense yeah. that like you, you got to you know, it's best to have that stuff up at embargo when people are looking for, you know, should I buy this game? What do you guys think of it? Uh, but at this point, there's so many games coming out that you can't, of course, cover everything. It's you got to determine. Close. Yeah, not even close. Even with you know, how many freelancers are out there, how many full-time staff. So at this point, with so many games just coming out on Steam, what seems like every day. What do you do to determine what actually warrants a full review? I mean, it's uh, part of it is uh, you know looking at what what uh, has has done traffic when we covered it on previews or features before uh, 
before it comes out, but uh, a lot of it is, you know, looking at Google Trends. Google Trends is your friend uh, for this kind of thing. It's like how how many people know about this game? And I mean, the the sad truth is a lot of it is is tied to a game's marketing budget. Like if a game uh, has a big marketing budget, more people are aware of it. More people want to know if it's actually good. Um, and that's uh, that's completely out of our control. Um, but it's a question that people are asking that we can answer. Um, and that's you know that that's what I like to think we do is like hey people people have a demand for uh, information on certain things and how that demand was created is you know it's not really super relevant to whether you're going to be there to answer the question um, so oftentimes that demand is created by uh, marketing budget by you know a bunch of ads a bunch of previews that uh, that have uh, you know that that a developer has has been able to uh, get you know fly out and show their game to a bunch of press and the press thinking it was cool enough to, to put up. Uh, although, I mean, honestly, there are a bunch of really cool things that, that people at IGN have thought are, are great and tried to get out in front of people that just haven't caught on. We don't have the power to, to create that buzz, um, not, at least not reliably. Um, so, But th- then there are also things like, uh, good examples would be Stardew Valley and uh, and Undertale, things that, that came out that were just completely under the radar, and we missed them. Um, yeah. You know, it took us it took us kind of months to get around to, to doing those reviews because, like, they, you know, we don't know if they're just like little flash in the pan indie games that are that come out and are gone by the time we actually do a review on them, or if there's a sustained interest in them that will last for a long time. So, um, like, we can't necessarily, uh, like, jump on every little uh, every little game that that comes out and does well on Steam, um, especially since we just don't have. Uh, we don't have the resources to review everything, so yeah. we have we do have to pick. It's hard to tell. And some maybe. of it's just a gut call. Yeah. Also, uh, like if if anyone at IGN, uh, like a staff uh, person at IGN, sees a game, and says, "Hey, this is this this looks really cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna play that and I want to review it." I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely review that. As long as I don't absolutely need you on another project right now. Um, and if I do, just review it later. That's fine. Um, just you know, I, I, like part of this." You know, part of the perks of, of uh, working at IGN is you get like if you see something cool and you want to tell people about it, great. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's speaking of how you find games, like in a different way. How do you find freelancers to write those reviews? Like, what do you what do you look for? Because I'm I'm guessing you kind of have, you know, in in a way like a, a list of people that you've worked with a lot. You kind of have this stable of freelancers that you go back to, but. I mean, how did you get those people, and what do you look for? Like, what what do you see in a, in a freelancer? It's like I need that person to write for me. Also, compared to what do you see in someone? You're like, I don't think you're the right fit. What's that process like? I mean, a lot of it is, uh, you know, <laughs> being able to to express expertise. Um, actually, just to boil it down to the to the bare thing, I want people who are going to make my job easier. I want people <laughs> yes. who are going to turn in reviews. I don't have to change. I don't have to spend a lot of time working on. Uh, to to make them uh, ready to to publish. Uh, so I want I want people who can uh, pretty much independently write a great review uh, and and you know, just pass it over to me and all I have to do is post it. That's that's my dream freelancer. But uh, in order to get to that point, um, I need people who you know who can uh, demonstrate expertise in specific genres. One of the things I hate is when I ask somebody. What do you? What games do you feel like you can review? And they say everything. <laughs> or I know the most common thing I hear is everything but sports and racing. Um, and that's just not true. And like no one is is that versatile. Like yeah. it's like yeah, I I could review uh, virtually any game, but 
I don't I don't know enough about that genre to, to really be insightful about it. I don't know enough to tell you is this game better than than similar games because I haven't played those games. Um, so it's it's not a it's it's really a great way to talk yourself out of of being a good freelancer to say I will do anything because the moment you take a job that you don't you aren't equipped to to do well you're going to burn that bridge. Yep. Um, so the the best thing you want to do is find a niche that you can talk about authoritatively, and and really work that. And like yeah, that, that's 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 a little bit hard as a freelancer because it limits uh it limits your job opportunities to when is there a game of significance in this genre coming out. But you know don't don't just uh don't just concentrate on one genre. You can do two genres. But that's still you know that's still Enough specialization that you that we're confident that you'll know what you're talking about, uh, without being so broad that um, that we worry about giving you something and turning in some substandard work. How many of like what percentage of IGN's reviews right now, games reviews, are freelanced? Is it is it fifty percent? Is it way fewer? Is it way more? Right now, it's probably about thirty percent. Okay. Uh, we we have a, a pretty big staff, so. Uh, and you know, I, I like to prioritize staff writers because um, I want IGN to have a personality. Um, you know, I want people to and like my my a review I write isn't necessarily going to line up exactly with a review written by, uh, say, Marty Sleeva. But um, but you know, people can come to IGN and they can see those those bylines pop up again and again and know like, oh, I know what Marty likes. Yeah. Um, whereas if everything is freelance. There, that's just such a big pool of people that um, that like you just don't know what you're going to get. You don't really have a, a chance to get to know people, and so and like I also think it it uh, it helps to like for one thing, it really helps to have our staff writers play a bunch of games thoroughly um, and you know flex their critical muscles instead of instead of uh, you know just casually playing games and and then going writing features and previews. Um, I like them to to have that in depth experience as much as possible. Uh, but you know it is a fight for to to get these people's time because everyone's super busy. But uh, you know freelancers uh, are still instrumental because uh, not a whole lot of people at IGN play uh, like grand strategy games. For that, I'm going to go to someone like Rob Zachney, who you know has played the hell out of all those those kind of uh, the, that kind of genre and and knows them you know backwards and forwards. So his perspective on on is you know where does this game sit in the hierarchy of of grand strategy games is much more valuable than mine or Marty's. Especially since, like you said, games are games writing, especially right now, is very personality based. It's you know, if you have a new freelancer every day reviewing a new thing, people don't really know that person's voice, that person's kind of preferences yet. I, I do think it's important that uh, on a specific site, if there's a freelancer, I like to see that person's name a lot. I like to see like, all right, this person's more consistent. I now know who this is, even if they are not exclusive to someone like IGN. They've been there a while. I, I know their style. I know what they like, uh, and I can kind of match up my interest to that person's interests. Yeah, and it's very important to 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 identify reviewers who you agree with and those that you don't. Um, and you know, it is it's kind of a shame that people see IGN as this monolithic thing, like some kind of Borg hive mind of taste, mm-hmm. um, because they don't they don't look at the byline and then they they say, hey, this this game uh, this review conflicts with this other one. It's like, well, that guy hasn't worked here in, you know, eight years. Oh, I hate that complaint <laughs> like, so much. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like I, I don't, uh, I, 
can't really line up my my thinking with his because I have never met that person. Yeah, like you're not John IGN. Like there are multiple people with different opinions, and you can't just point it that way. Like I, I mean, I remember before I really started working in games writing, that was, I mean, just kind of my opinion too, where it's like, oh, that's a GameSpot review, that's an IGN review, and now I'm, I, I really like the idea more of like, you know, that's a, that's a Dan review, that's a Kevin review, and like, yes, it's it goes under GameSpot or IGN, but they're, these are different people with different opinions, and you can't just have this umbrella opinion tied to an entire entire corporation that's one downside to the kind of democratization of reviews is that uh you know it's like yes we get like this huge mass of critical opinions but no one knows who anyone is um whereas if you go back to like to you know the 90s it's like well it's like yeah roger ebert uh like everyone knows roger ebert everyone knows what roger ebert likes and doesn't like um so it's it's not and they know if they if they agree with roger ebert or not um and like he was, he was like the only uh, he he and like Gene Siskel because they had the, t- the TV show. They were like the only like rock star critics, um, like ever, where they were household names, uh, and it, like you just don't really have that anymore because there are so many voices. Um, and and you, you have it with with Twitter YouTubers. can get those names out a little bit too, where people can kind of follow them and see more of their opinions on their games that aren't in full review forms, and maybe kind of. That person can get a following and get a name, maybe not at the Roger Ebert level, but still kind of get their their personality and their name and their voice out there. And uh, you do have it with YouTubers these days, and that like some of the, the really high, high high profile guys, um, you know, they, they do have that name that name recognition. It's not like home, you know, not like Roger Ebert where everyone knows them, but they they have a large following, and people are able to latch onto those and say, oh, I I agree with this guy, or I I don't agree with that guy, so I'm not going to listen to him. Um, but uh, and the difference between one of those guys and, and IGN is that we can cover many, many more games than they can because, you know, under our under the IGN umbrella, we can cover, you know, we've got dozens of critics work critics working, so we can we can cover you can come to IGN and see uh, views on a lot of games, not all from one person, but it's it's uh, you know it's just a different setup from from a single critic YouTube channel. And I, I can't not ask you this only because, you know, a lot of people who listen to this podcast, it's, it's a range of people who haven't gotten started or maybe they're writing for smaller sites and are looking for ways into bigger sites. If, if someone feels like they're at the point in their writing career where they're ready to write for a site at the level of IGN, it, what's the best way to approach you and say, like, this person said, like, I, I, I really want to write a review for IGN. What's kind of the, 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 the first step to do something like that? We have a freelancer application. If you if you Google um, IGN freelancer application, you'll find it uh, that you can fill out. Uh, to be honest, I haven't uh, had a whole bunch of time to dig through all those yet. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I built this thing a few months ago, uh, at, you know, with the, with the hope of, of finding some some freelancers that I could use, and I just haven't really had the time to dig through all of them and the and the uh, the real need to, because I still, like you said, I do have a stable of freelancers. They're my go-tos, um, and I do, I do want to find some new experts in certain things. You know, and sports games are, are one of those things. Like, you know, we we have you know a few guys that, that do those. Like uh, Mike Mitchell is pretty pretty good uh, freelancer, but he can't do everything. So right. I need to, I need to find some uh, some additional people who are who are into things like sports games. Um, but yeah, if you fill out that that uh, form, just uh, you know. Uh, it lets you drill down into what you're really into, um, and what and you gives you a chance to demonstrate that you know, your knowledge of those subjects, and gives you a chance to to you know submit samples and 
let me know what you, what kind of work you can do. Where if, if I say I need a review on this game in a week, I can see what kind of thing you'll turn back in, and uh, and you know, depending on the quality of that, I you know maybe I'll be uh, I'll be interested. But uh, there, like I said, there's a big pile of them I haven't <laughs> yet. Um, but in a more general uh, sense, if if you if you want to uh, you know put yourself out there as a as a freelancer to to work for a major site, I mean. A big part of it is is just that, like prove that you can do the work, prove that you can make that person's job easier, prove that they won't have to come back to you for a bunch of revisions, uh, because you know there are a bunch of things you just like didn't really think through when you said them. Like if you, like I just see a bunch of reviews with kind of contradictory, self-contradictory ideas and uh, things that uh, you know broad statements that that's like, well, you know, you said this is the best. Uh, best shooter out there. It's like, what about these three games? Did you think about? Have you played those? Have you, have, do you think about it? So, like, you want your your arguments to be as bulletproof as possible going in. Uh, just try and think through all all of your strong statements before you make them. Um, but still make some strong statements because you don't want to you don't want a review that is just a product description. Yeah. Uh, and one of the greatest compliments you can get from an editor is that, like, you're a freelancer who provides clean copy. And one of the coolest things, one of the biggest fist-pumping freelancer moments is when you turn in a review and the editor, like, does not give you this list of things to change. They they, they post almost as is. That's If there's anyone who's listening who really, like, if you're looking to strive for something, like, just write clean copy. Every editor is going to appreciate that no matter who they are. Just write content that doesn't need revision after revision after revision before it goes live because if you are and that's exactly right because because like i'm i am paying you to do a thing yeah and if i have to do effectively do a chunk of it myself then i i feel like i'm not getting my full bunnies worth out of that it's like oh if i got somebody else maybe they could have made that less work for me um yeah. and every time i have to you know give another round of feedback and like get you know get some major uh major revisions done it's like well that's that's time out of my schedule it's setting me back uh you know, from from the schedule I'd hoped to hit. So you know, it's it it it's just about like, hey, make your make your stuff as as polished as you can before you give it to me, and also hit your deadlines. <laughs> that too, yeah. God, I couldn't. Yeah, you definitely don't want the reputation of oh, this guy always turns things in late, especially yep. if he turns things in late and then you have to edit a lot. Don't ever be that guy. If if you're that guy, you probably shouldn't reach out to Dan. I don't think he'll like you. <laughs> Uh, Dan, I really appreciate you talking to me today. I think a lot of times, like we said, people kind of look at IGN or GameSpot as this big business instead of like there's individual people doing individual reviews. So I think it's important to kind of take a step back, understand the process of that. Uh, and then maybe we'll have fewer people coming in and just screaming profanity in the comments. Maybe, you know, one comment <laughs> at a time. That's what we're here to change. That's, so, that's the dream. Yeah, that's the dream. So I do really appreciate you coming on. My so. Pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, thank you again and thanks everyone for listening and hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099. <laughs>